Hello, and welcome to the Mage, the Hero Described podcast. This is the show for fans and readers of Matt Wagner's Mage comic series. My name is Kevin, and in this episode, we'll be discussing issue one of Mage, the Hero Denied. This is part recap, part review. I'm a fan, not a critic, but my goal here isn't necessarily to just be an uncritical cheerleader for the series. I want to look at it, discuss it, point out things that might tie back to the previous series, and maybe speculate a little bit about what's being set up for the future. So one quick thing before I go on, here's my spoiler warning. For this issue... For the issue before it, and for every other freaking mage issue that's ever been written. This is the third series in a trilogy. There's no way I can recap and review and provide commentary about what's going on without referencing what happened in Hero Discovered, what happened in Hero Defined. So here's your spoiler warning. If you're if you're not looking to get spoiled, head for the door. Be more than we'll we'll still be here when you come back after you've uh, read the entire series. Have fun. It's really good. So with that, this issue I really see is, it. this is a setting the stage issue. So there isn't necessarily a lot of action going on here. There's definitely a notable action scene, but there's a lot of exposition and a lot of what's gone on before. We've spent a lot of time away from Kevin Matchstick since the events in the third interlude. Approximately eight to ten years character time, and we have to get caught up. At the same time, comics need villains. So we also need to introduce what's going on on the other side of the chessboard. We get that taken care of in this issue as well. So let's take a look at the cover. It's the first issue. There isn't a lot of story being told on this cover. We're just looking at Kevin Matchstick. We're seeing him split down the middle. One half of him is just Kevin Matchstick as he would look to anybody looking at him. The other half is this energetic outline with electricity coming off of him. And I really think that this is how Kevin Matchstick appears to the more magically attuned and especially the evil magically attuned characters in this universe. So here's Kevin Matchstick, just all aglow with white and lightning or electricity coming off of him. And I was doing a little research back in the original series, Hero Discovered, and there's a line where Emil Grackleflint is talking about the Umbra Sprite's inability to act, and he says he sees green and white and loses all nerve. Now we know who green is. Green is mirth. Mirth lights up green. Magic is green, and mirth is its faucet into this world. And white, well, white is Kevin Matchstick lit up with his power. We're seeing Kevin Matchstick and his power alight here on the cover. Let's take a look inside. We start out with a little brief recap about the story so far and a note about the team working on this. Matt Wagner, his son Brennan Wagner working on colors, Dave Lanfear working on lettering. We spoke about Dave in the first episode. Just some amazing lettering work here. Diana shoots, returns, as the consulting editor, and gosh, I hope I'm not saying her name the wrong way. I've never heard it pronounced. Anyways, Diana shoots not only having been involved with the first run of Mage and Kamiko Comics, also the inspiration and model for the character of Isis in Mage 
the hero defined. And lastly, design and production by Stephen Birch, who worked with Matt on the Tower Chronicles, and you can see his name associated with multiple Dark Horse comics. And this chapter, throughout the entire series, each series has had Shakespearean quotes tied to it. For Mage, the hero discovered, they were from Hamlet. For Mage, the hero defined, they were from Macbeth. And now we are quoting from what is considered to be Shakespeare's last work, The Tempest. What's past is prologue. Knowing that we're looking at the last chapter of a trilogy, that makes sense. Everything that's gone on before really is prologue for what we're going to be seeing in this series. And the series opens with Kevin Matchstick in a park, singing. It's a musical! Actually, every series, in a way, starts off with a song. Hero Discovered started with Kevin Matchstick singing a few lines from Rebel's Rule by the Stray Cats. Hero Defined started with the lyrics to Town Called Malice by The Jam. And now we start out with the lyrics to Peace, Love, and Understanding by Nick Lowe and popularized by Elvis Costello. I think just looking at these songs, you see an interesting progression. You know, in series one, he is the cynical city dweller. He's maybe not necessarily a loner per se, but he feels like a loner. He is, he's a, he's a rebel. It's a rebellion song for this guy who just has, has not found his true place and his true circle. And Town Called Malice by The Jam, the lyrics that are being sung have to do with that there's always a struggle, but it's up to us to change this Town Called Malice. So great lyrics having to do with the struggle that Kevin and his fellow heroes are involved with. And we see him having moved from being alone to now growing a group of peers. And peace, love, and understanding. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding here? You know, this, is, this is the family issue. I think Back when Mage 2 was wrapping up, Matt Wagner said something about Mage 3 is going to be the Kevin and Magda show. And we'll see. It's been a while. It's been 18 years. It may or not play out to be exactly that. But Kevin Matchstick's story has to follow Matt Wagner's story to a certain degree as an allegorical autobiography. And we've gone from loner to friends to family. And it's, it's a little ironic Kevin Matchstick singing this song. He's talking about troubled times, and sometimes I get so downhearted. Where are the strong? And he is the strong. If anything, this particular part has to do with a cry for heroes, for people to, to do something to set things right. So where are the strong and who are the trusted? Well, you, dude! But we know Kevin Matchstick has turned his back on that, rightly or wrongly, for to have an ordinary life. Uh, so, but, but still there's something going on inside of him. It still bothers him. And the setting, he's inside nature. Magic is green. When Kevin and the other heroes of his peer group, shall we call it, get into the discussion of what color is magic in The Hero Defined, the first place that Kevin Matchstick goes to talk about green is to talk about living things, nature, life. So it's great to see Kevin Matchstick surrounded by all of this green, by all of this nature. There isn't much time for getting lost in thought and reverie, because at the bottom of page two, Kevin Matchstick is interrupted by a call of, hey dad! And it's anybody who's been around kids, 
has kids or has spent a lot of time with them knows kids demand attention. This isn't a good, bad, or otherwise comment. It's just a reality. Kids come first. And we meet Kevin Matchstick's son, Hugo. And we get a good father-son bonding moment here. The two of them having fun together, playing some games, and they're standing on a bridge when Hugo notices a weird-looking insect. It takes off, and it's unclear whether or not it is separate from this bird or changes then into this bird that appears and comes and alights on a branch. And Kevin Matchstick is watching this go on. He seems a little bit startled, a little shaken, a little put off. And then we see this bird turn towards Kevin Matchstick, and it has blood on a jagged beak. It has a skull for a face, and it has eight eyes. And the next panel is just awesome. We have a clearly pissed off Kevin Matchstick. He is just getting angry, and he is caught up in what he's looking at, and what he's thinking, and what he's feeling. And of course, no thought bubbles. We don't know, but we can infer. And what really makes this panel is this entire ongoing dialogue by Hugo. This is a kid excitedly sharing his day and story with his dad, but dad is right now kind of preoccupied. So that entire dialogue bubble is completely overlapped by Kevin's head. But still, there are some interesting things going on inside there. Hugo is talking mostly in this about a teacher, Ms. Levine, called Levine the Mean, who has taken his, what sounds like a deck of Pokemon-like game cards at school. And then when he gets them back at the end of the day, he mentions that she had taken all of his good cards, asking what would a grown-up like her want with, uh, with those. And he gets cut off. Now, that might mean nothing. Or we might be laying the groundwork for something going on here. Uh, the idea of good cards missing... The idea of this person, you know, the question is asked there right out, you know, what would a grown-up like her want with these? It is possible, so let's take a look at Mage the Autobiography for a moment here. It is possible that this could even be called back to a real-life event. Maybe, maybe not. But based on some posts online by Brennan Wagner and a photo posted not so long ago by Matt Wagner to his Facebook page, this entire park scene is taken straight out of real life. At least this is an environment that Bren Wagner himself has referred to uh, to one panel as being based on a, on a real location. And I will, I'll share those in the as-mentioned part of the, uh, of the podcast website so you can see those in comparison to the environment that we're looking at here. But I might just be digging in too deep. There might be nothing going on there. You know, Kevin is... His attention is taken by this, clearly, this this nasty showing up. And he's telling Hugo that he needs to head back on up to the playground. He sends Hugo on his way. And there's a great bit of dialogue here that shows Hugo is a... Hugo it starts laying the groundwork that Hugo is a sharp kid, very observant, and details matter here. Kevin tells him, stick to the path, go straight there, and don't stop to talk to anything along the way. To which Hugo replies, anything? Matchstick says, one. I meant any one. And Hugo insists, you said thing. 
Hugo is Hugo's paying attention to what's going on here. Hugo's paying attention to the fact that saying one thing, you know, that it, it matters. And he seems a little bit reluctant to go off when Kevin sends him off and says, hurry, I'll be there soon. And you know, reluctantly, Hugo leaves. And Kevin Matchstick is left by himself. This frame, this panel is really interesting because on one side, we still have our green nature environment. And on the other side... The background has changed to a smoky, desolate forest. And this is where we meet, you know, the Nasty Crew. And there's five of these here. We've got a spirit, we've got a spider, we've got some kind of floating worm, and a that bird that we had already seen earlier, and a man tree with, let's just say, a rather rude-looking root on him. Clearly not an accident of placement. And this nasty crew, they talk about there's flesh rewards for whoever seeks and discovers his hidden spark. Evil Groot, this this tree man thing, just says, bone dust mine. Just repeats the same three words over and over again. And maybe it's not intentional, but I just can't help but thinking that this is a bit of a reference to Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, for me, this guy is evil Groot. And our battle is almost done before it starts. Ultimately, Kevin then goes on to talk about how he'd be willing to give these things mercy. They're hardly worth the effort, but they were overeager and sloppy. And the thing that really pisses him off is that they came within reach of my son. So we have here Papa Bear. Papa Bear is pissed off. He says, I can't allow that, and takes this last bit of remaining twig, throws it right into evil Groot, and we see something interesting that he can do with his power. He can It's not just necessarily being able to make something energetic in his hands and throw it, but once this twig has planted into evil Groot, Kevin just expands his hand and says, boom, and there's just a huge burst of energy, and evil Groot is obliterated, just blown up to pieces. Meanwhile, Hugo has been watching all of this from behind some trees and bushes and runs off to get back to the playground ahead of his dad, and it, it makes me wonder. I'm curious because clearly when Kevin Matchstick sent Hugo up to the park, there were some weird manifestations around them, but the park was a park. It wasn't a desolate wasteland. And it's it's hard to tell just what did Hugo see. Did he see everything go down the way that we saw it depicted? Did he see something completely different? I'm going to assume that he has seen this conflict with these nasties happen. And wide-eyed... That's a lot to process. In fact, when Kevin gets up there to the parking lot or to the park, clearly he can see that Hugo is disturbed, or if not disturbed, something's going on with him. He's lost in thought. They get ready to head off home. And the car that they get into is, this is just great, it's a it's a VW bug, which, first of all, is a callback to a, uh, a bug in Hero Discovered. Now, I don't think that was Kevin's bug in the first series, but this one has a license plate on it. Reads Edsel 7. I've got to assume that means there's been an Edsel 2, Edsel 3, Edsel 4, Edsel 5, etc., etc. So it's a nice callback while Kevin Matchstick is not driving an Edsel. What would the odds be? Edsel has remained and, and stays with us, at least in the license plate. And at this point, 
we shift gears. We've introduced our hero. We're shifting gears to the other side of the aisle. So let's check in with the bad guys. Now, right off the bat, what we see here is we see the Umbra Sprite who returned at the end of Mage 2 Hero Defined with his, her, new crew of offspring. Whereas in Mage the Hero Discovered, the Umbra Sprite had the five Grackle Flints, bald, featureless, pupilless men. We now have the Grackle Thorns, who are equally as pale and pupilless, uh, but actually they each have their own full head of hair. So those might be used for how we're going to be able to identify them from one another. They don't have any names yet. And how do we know that this is the Grackle? Uh, how do we know that this is the Umbra Sprite? Well, the Umbra Sprite has not changed in its fashion sense. We have the same red with black pinstriping suit. We have the same cigarette holder and penchant for smoking and meanwhile the umbra sprite is talking about having felt the horrible crackle of his wretched spark he has surfaced and we learned something interesting here and i'm not sure if this will play out to mean something later on in the series but the umbra sprite at the end of mage 2 the hero defined the umbra sprite has turned into this huge flood of black viscous oil or some kind of substance he's drunk on having consumed let's say its sun and here the empress sprite mentions to his crew to his grackle thorns or hers i should say that none of you should underestimate the extent of his power it was only via its bittersweet kiss when he pierced the very depths of my darkness that i was able to re reattain human form and spawn the five of you there is a lot going on here and maybe i'm reading too much into it but during you know how kevin escapes from the umbra sprite is by using a bolt of his sheer power and blasting it through the umbra sprite and this just sounds very much in some senses like procreation piercing the very depths of my darkness darkness is usually you know we take a look at the yin and the yang one is tied to the masculine one is tied to the feminine and then i was able to reattain my human form so for as much as the umbra sprite dislikes and hates this spark of energy and in fact it causes it discomfort and it hates it clearly it was also empowered by it as well so i i see both a procreation aspect happening there from the energy of kevin matchstick allowing the umbra sprite to reattain human form and then of course we have the procreation of the five grackle thorns who are remarkably assured that they will just annihilate kevin matchstick it's what they were bred for, it's their only desire, and they will not fail the Umbra Sprite. First, the Umbra Sprite says, he must be made to suffer. First, we must seduce him. And in the meantime, we continue our pursuit of the despised and radiant Fisher King. So whatever's going on with Kevin Matchstick and the Fisher King, how he took his eye off the ball there in Mage 2, clearly the Umbra Sprite has the Fisher King top of mind. And there's some interesting verbiage here, maybe some interesting sexual politics saying, hey, first we must seduce him. It's easy to go to, you know, one place and say, hey, what do they mean by that? We've got this group of now all women against this guy. I'm looking at this as the seduction of power. I'm looking at this as temptation but we've seen seduction happen before in the mage series we've seen kevin in the thrall of a succubus twice and we've seen joe fat also being fed upon 
by a succubus. We've now met our returned villain and the villain's crew, and we know that they're aware of they've been looking for Kevin Matchstick, and now they've found him. From the looks of the background, it looks like the Umbra Sprite has set up headquarters in San Francisco, and the office, the digs, are much more defined than they had ever been in Hero Discovered. This is a very swankified office. There's no desk. We look more like we're hanging out in a lounge. There's one picture on the wall that just keeps catching my attention, and it looks like close-up of an eye of some great beast. The Umbra Sprite's taste in art is just very interesting. A huge wall painting on one side of just black liquid dripping down over over the white surface, reminiscent in many ways of that black liquid form that the Umbra Sprite had taken at the end of Mage 2, Hero Defined. But now it's time to return back to Kevin for some exposition. We have a lot of catching up to do, And things get really specific here. We see Kevin come up to an ATM. He pulls out that green magic credit card, types in the special word, and it sounds like he's he's waiting for this card to no longer work. For the magic to run out. Again, he's turned his back on this. He was given this card a long time ago. It's left over from when Mirth first disappeared into the fairy realms and gave him a way to contact him. In many ways, this magic card represents, in my thinking, Matt Wagner's livelihood, his career. His magic money card is his career, is his ability to do art, is his ability to write comics and have a career. And maybe this is just him wondering, how long is this going to last? When is this going to just fall out underneath me? And this card's just not going to work. But it does, and we get Kevin's backstory. This is almost this is almost his midlife crisis monologue. Remember, he's turned his back on his power. He's turned his back in many ways on his on his path, and he stands here hoping that sometime when he uses it, Mirth will make contact with him or give him a sign that he's there listening. And Kevin admits that it's been years since this whole thing started and he just doesn't know what to do. He's become powerful, he's learned how to master his power, and he he knows there's got to be more to do than just whacking nasties. He admits that he tried being a leader and it didn't work out. And he knows he should be looking for the Fisher King, he knows he should be looking for a higher purpose, but he just doesn't even know where to begin. This sounds to me all all the world like somebody who is just so caught up in living day to day and handling real life that they've lost connection with their purpose. They don't know which way to go. And he says, what I could really use, what I really need is some guidance. Where is he? Who's the third mage? And he doesn't get any answer. He gets his cash, which is great and handy. And it's interesting when the ATM shuts down it shuts down and we get this little starburst with the vertical and horizontal extensions off of it which to me are very reminiscent of the starblaze logo that was on the mage books and some of the early published mage uh, pieces as well as on the cover of either mage one where 
bursts of magical energy are coming off of Mirth's hand, and I think they're coming off in a similar position. So just a little bit of a callback, that seems to me. Kevin heads back to the car, and Hugo, ever the perceptive one, asks him, why do you take so long at the ATM machine? You know, my friend's parents never take that long, and my friend's parents don't talk to the ATM machine either. Another sign here that Hugo is noticing that Things about his dad are different. We'll see where that goes. So, at this point, the two of them get home, and Kevin is on the receiving end of the update. If you've ever been in a relationship and lived with somebody, eventually you're going to be on the receiving end or giving the update. Letting your partner know, hey, this is everything that's going on. I haven't spoken to you for a while. You need to know about this. You need to know about that. You need to know about the other thing. The update is just a sign of life happening. Now, there's a reason I'm mentioning this here, and I'll either address it later in this episode, or it might have to wait for another episode completely, a standalone episode. But inside this exchange on this next-to-last page, Magda's busy. There's all these things going on. Now, as Magda is giving Kevin the update, he keeps trying to start telling her something. Kevin ends up telling Magda the news, and it strikes me this has got to be... Kevin has just come home, and he's got bad news. This is the honey, I got laid off moment. They found us. Looks like we'll have to move again. And if you've read the issue, well, you know Magda's reply. Some comments about the artwork. You know, I had some misgivings about Mage 2, the hero defined, when I first picked it up. And we had left off with the first interlude that had a very distinct style. Mage 2 went in a different direction that to me was a little more comic booky, a little more kinetic. Here in Mage 3, really the line art can vary radically from panel to panel and page to page. If you're looking somewhere around I don't know, page five or so, when Kevin Matchstick is staring down at one of the nasties while Hugo is speaking to him. There is a a lot of detail in his face to carry that expression, but you move over to the next page when Kevin is speaking to Hugo, and really the detail has been sacrificed for, for color to do the work and that's fine. I don't need the super detail in each and every frame. This really strikes a nice middle ground between where things stood at the close of Hero Discovered and where things stood inside Hero Defined. At least that's my take. As far as the Umbra Sprite, I'm still mulling over the Umbra Sprite and the Grackothorns being female. It works as a mirror to what started in the Hero Discovered, and we'll see where the story takes that. The Umbra Sprite spent virtually the entirety of the Hero Discovered with his face in shadows, with his face being obscured. We never really got a look at his features. And the same thing is going on here with the Umbra Sprite in this issue, where when we even do see her face, it is covered with her hair. Matt has clearly set up a structure with the villains in this series. One big bad villain per series, five supporting offspring, and that is being taken through another permutation in this series. We'll see how it goes. I'm a little concerned about possible sexual politics and how that could play out, but I trust Matt's instincts. Just a few thoughts in closing, some last-minute comments and questions. First of all, the art. Really enjoy the way the colors bring the park to life. The sunset when 
Kevin and Hugo get home, the domestic scene, just as the Umbra Sprite's office has this great, sparse, kind of modern feel, when we take a look at Kevin and Magda's place, the small touches, the neatly put-together garage, the scene in the kitchen with the bowl and the spilled milk on the table, with the shadow or silhouette of Hugo in the background watching TV while Magda and Kevin are talking, Miranda trying to get Mom's attention uh, in the middle of all this going on, it just feels like a household. It's got this great domestic, lived-in type of feeling. Really, really enjoyed how that came together. The bad guys are really creepy. Great facial expressions throughout this as well. Some open questions, though. Kevin goes and grabs some money from the ATM, but if he's walked away from being a hero, we get a sense of what Magda does. Sounds like she teaches, she's involved in the community... We don't really know what Kevin does. What has Kevin been doing for the last eight years? And we might not find out. Uh, Comics are not exactly well known for delving deep into the what do I do other than whack bad guys storyline. I'm not sure that Matt owes it to us. But it is a question in a domestic setting like this to wonder, hey, uh, just what does this guy actually do for a living if he's not going around whacking nasties. Also, he talks about, and we see, how he has mastered his power to an extreme degree. But at the same time, he's managed to stay off the radar of the Umbra Sprite, because apparently when he uses his power, he just shines really brightly, and he knows that's a potential beacon to bring bad guys running. So it's it's a wonder to me how he's managed to master his power and stay off the radar. Or maybe that was a lesson learned at the at the last address, and he's pretty much laid low in the meantime. And one thing that I am just not going to talk about for a while is the identity of the third mage. Based on the rest of the series, I already have some opinions and thoughts regarding this. I'm going to wait for the first few issues to unfold before talking mages. That's it for this episode of the Mage the Hero Described podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join me next time when I will review issue number two. Or maybe I'll review the reviews of Mage issue one. There is a real wild one out there. And if you have any comments or thoughts about issue one or the Mage series overall, visit magetheherodescribed.com where you will find email and contact links and the feedback phone number where you can record your thoughts into voicemail. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes. It really helps other listeners discover the show. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, stay excellent.